reflecting on the Dhamma, the truth of the way it is. And this word Dhamma then is a it's an important word, and it can't be defined because it it's uh, it isn't meant to be. It's to be realized, and in, in itself is only a word. You know, it doesn't it's a sound human invention, but uh, the reality it's it's real, and so this to recognize to know to to know reality. Or if you can say realize reality, I don't know if that's good grammar or not. <laughs> but this word, <laughs> this word, reality and realize and real, is is not you know is not an abstract uh, intellectual concept. This moment is real, you know. You sitting, breathing, feeling. Thinking, uh, happy, sad, peaceful, confused, whatever, and the knowing of this. So this buto tamo paradigm, and then when it becomes unreal is when when we create it into a self, <coughs> me and mine. Uh, we we get caught in the sakya ditti thilabhata bharmasa vichikicca. The first three fetters, sangyojanas. So when we want to, when we awaken, the sense of awakenness, enlightenment, seeing things as they are, realization, It's not finding out who you are, where you belong, and what your nature is as a person anymore. That, that whole need and delusion is, uh, you know, is seen through. You don't believe in it anymore because reality is now. You don't have to go somewhere to find it. Just uh, this imminent, awakened moment. This is it. Now, in modern society, there's a lot of problems around identity, isn't there? People, you hear it all the time. You know, <coughs> pop psychology and so forth is just about what's my identity? Where do I belong? What group do I belong to? Am I really British or English or Scot or European, Yorkshireman, Lancastrian? Or, I mean, you could carry it on. Do I really. Do I really fit in here at Amravati? And on and on, like it's trying to find an identity where my personality feels, you know, I, uh, my, I can feel it comfortable in the delusions of my personality. But the personality, you'll never find any real refuge in that. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's just, it's based on delusion. It's co conventionally it's usable. It's serviceable, but as as uh, some safe place, some uh, you find you know if you can truly define yourself 
and be satisfied with that. But even if even if you su- should succeed in doing that, then you feel threatened by anything that challenges that identity. You know, you get people very strong attachments to a place or a tribe or a group, and uh, they really feel threatened by any foreigners or strangers, aliens, anybody, anything that comes and might threaten the safety of their little nest where they they want to keep it, you know, protect it. And because without that, they don't know who they are. So in the, but the real identity is in awakeness. This is it, real, reality is our identity. It's not a personal one. Personality doesn't operate. Now, when I talk about this and, you know, using this uh, or referring to sound of silence, because this is, this is what I've developed over many years, this just resting in this vibratory sound or whatever it is, it's this. Because this gives me perspective, just on a practical level of reflection. Before, you know, when I didn't do this, when I was busy following the instructions of meditation teachers and and so forth, I was always, it, was, it, it's, it would spark off the Sakyaditi. So it was always me trying to get the, this level of samadhi, get first jhana, second jhana, trying to get the right amount of samadhi to do the vipassana, or on and on like this, there was there the the personality was influencing the the practice of meditation, and with just by trying to suppress personality it isn't doesn't work either. You know, so it's, at least this is this is from my own experience. Now, how others develop, you know, is something else. But it's just sharing what I've learned from my own experiments, insights, thinking about myself, analyzing myself. When you think about yourself, what do you do? What do you think you are, a good person, a bad person? Do you think you're a good meditator or not very good? Do you think you're advanced or or uh, still a beginner? Are you... Uh, are you truly Buddhist, or have you? Do you show kind of uh, curiosity towards other other kind of religions, or d- you might be a secret Mahayanist embedded into Theravada and Sangha, <laughs> or at heart a Tibetan? Now these are all, you know, these are, this is this is uh, Sanya Sankara. The, the t- w- you ne- even was like Tibetan and Theravada and Mahayana. These are these are made made up by human beings. This is not Dhamma. In a, this is merely, you know, it's a it's an expedient means to convey. Uh, certain things on the intellectual level, but 
you know, they are limited. But if we grasp any of those concepts, then then we become, we, we, we separate ourselves, become Theravadan Buddhists, which means that we see other forms of Buddhism as in various ways, as inferior or not as good as or suspicious or now that's all that's Sakyaditi Sila Bhattabharamasa So the way of getting perspective on all that is rather than spending years trying to develop the right kind of samadhi in order to do the vipassana, why not start out with just that that assumption, whatever you believe, whatever ideas or opinions you hold about Buddhism and practice is not to not to think about whether it's right or wrong, but just recognize it is this. It's a it's an opinion. It's conceptual. And everything you think about yourself is conceptual. You know, it's a it's a, it's not Dhamma, it's it's conventional. And when you think about yourself, analyze yourself on a personal level, what happens to you? Just goes on and on, doesn't it? Thinking about all my, you know, you get to take these these uh, therapies, and you work out your emotional problems, and then you get into to uh, birth traumas, and then womb traumas, and then previous life traumas. And where does it ever stop? You know, what, I- what are you doing? What is that rea- and the reality of now? You get the impression that I have to work out, work through all the traumas for how many lifetimes? Because my first birth, human birth, was I was a caveman. <laughs> a Neanderthal. And my wife hit me over the head with a club. Because I fell in love with a homo sapien woman. <laughs> and that wasn't allowed, you know, if you got to stick to your own. Now that could be interesting, I admit, you know, if I could really remember such an event. You know, I could get on these radio programs, brother, big brother, kind of thing. Imagine this. <laughs> So thinking about yourself, you know, is is it's a it's a, you know, you're just going around in circles trying to figure out, analyze, <coughs> because it's all thinking. It's it's unquestioned uh, commitment to the illusion of Sakyaditi and Vichikicha and Sila Bhattabharamasa. No, to me the the uh, the uh, kind of directness of uh, Buddha's teaching is, you know, is just this sense of wake up. It's as simple as that. Well, awakeness is not something that you need to develop in the future. Practice now to become awake. It's a natural state of being available every moment. So it's not, you know, nothing complicated or, you know, uh, you know, highly attained about it. Just but what the Buddha's point is recognizing this, this awakeness, the reality of awakeness, rather than 
being caught up in the delusions of the self, of the personality, the cultural prejudices, cultural conditioning, memory, attachment to memories, and the thinking process. So is that asking too much of anybody? Is that a high attainment or you know, something that only very special people can achieve or you know because this is not an esoteric teaching it's not you know it's, it's available for anyone who who's interested it's come and see ehi pasika dhamma isn't it it's not you have to prove your self-worth in order to get the the esoteric teaching the hidden teaching that only the initiated can possibly understand. And then you're getting into cultish kind of uh, groups, you know, uh, secret societies and whatnot. But notice that the Dhamma, nothing secret about it. So in this sound of silence, and because it, it, you know, I've now, I, I, you know, it's, it's so natural that I don't, you know, it's, you know, I, aware of it all the time. This is the, the way things are. It's like space or background. Not that I, you know, concentrated on it all the time, but it certainly wherever I am or whatever's happening, it's the, I, I recognize it. And it stops the Sakyaditi tendencies and the thinking process. And that's what, you know, that's why I became so interested in it, because I didn't know how to stop the the proliferating thoughts. I couldn't stop my proliferating thinking. And um, this was the, the first year before I met Lung Po Cha as a summoner. I just, I couldn't stop it. It just, think, 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 one thought going on to the next. And then it would endlessly repeat the same thoughts. You know, when you're living alone and you're not getting any new information for a year, your mind starts repeating the same old stuff. It's absolutely boring. How many times do I have to think that stupid thought? Here it comes again. And, you know, the Gwendolyn, what are you to me scenario, I tell. Where a stupid thought obsesses the consciousness. I can't get rid of it. And then I finally see that this resistance, this desire, it becomes obsessive. Wanting to get rid of something I don't like. When I keep, you know, following that, with, you know, trying to figure out how to get rid of it, how to stop it, you just increase the, the amount of obsession with the same with the thought that you want to get rid of. And so this uh, recognizing this sound of silence, then the, you know, the, as I sustained attention, just kind of resting in this, then I noticed this, the thinking process would would cease. You get this kind of span of silence, of non-thinking, recognizing. The cessation of thought is like this. There's a re relief. 
I thought I was, I thought I was hopeless, hopelessly enslaved to this thinking process. It was all about me, you know, me, me, me all the time. So recognizing this, you know, this, and then, then testing it out, putting it to, you know, I'd be recognized, insight, this was insight, recognize this. The natural state, it isn't created. So then it fulfills the, you know, if you don't think, you don't create self. Yeah, there's no sakyaditi. Emotional things happen, you know, but if you, if you try to suppress, you know, what is, what is, when something, emotional conditions arise, uh, it starts you thinking, doesn't it? So if you, if something makes you angry, then you, then you think angry thoughts. Try to think a loving, warm, friendly thought when you're really angry. It's impossible. It comes out all cynical. Uh, this, this is what I found when, when I'm experiencing anger. Somebody says, you must have compassion for them. And I say, oh, shit. <laughs> That's what I feel. But then when you're, when you're kind of feeling very positive about somebody, you know, you think they're absolutely wonderful, you know, and you're kind of besotted with them and you think, oh, they're, they're, they're such good Buddhists and oh, on and on like this. And somebody says, well, you know, he, uh, I've heard he's done some pretty awful things and you don't want to hear it. <laughs> you know, because... Where anything positive is, is 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 encouraged. Tell me more. Tell me how wonderful he is. Uh, it's everyone. And then somebody says, "Well, he's not." You know, I've. <laughs> and, and then you you know you don't want you you, you have this the hum, ignorant human being has this what they call cognitive dissonance. It's a uh, ability to shut out what you don't want to hear, completely not hear what you don't want to hear. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is Sakya Ditti, isn't it? Uh, you know, we can just switch off or not notice or just reject anything that doesn't fit into what we want to hear in the present. Now, Sound of Silence, then, is in the first, it, it, it you know it's uh, you know it's generally not noticed. You know people don't, or they think it's uh, you know like tinnitus or or um, just you know like in Thailand for example, where you live out in the jungles and they have a lot of. Uh, insect sounds. I just thought it was probably you know like the buzzing of insects you get cicadas and you get this kind of uh, you know you can see all this is kind of just a uh, a level of buzz from tropical jungles i remember uh, staying at this place in i'm not sure in tom thang every evening during a certain season the cicadas would you'd have this kind of symphony it's quite beautiful it start and you know <laughs> dusk and suddenly this this crescendo of these cicadas 
and it come almost it start out at a low level, and then it would rise up to a to a magnificent crescendo, and then it would just suddenly fall silent, and then start over again. So you could you know kind of listen to to this uh, symphony. And so the uh, coming to live in in England, for example, was you don't have this. You know, the such it's not such a noisy country, being so far north. But this sound of silence was very strong in London, of all places, because London's supposed to be a noisy place. That's what all what everybody would say is sorry, excuse say sorry about. You know, London is so noisy, but actually. If you've been living in Bangkok the previous week and you arrive in London, London's quite quiet. <laughs> and uh, and this, this sound of silence became so p- apparent, you know, I began to, I've, I'd experienced it in Thailand, but never really developed it till coming to live in England. And just curious to see, you know, what would happen. Because then, you know, this, its way of stopping the thinking process, of giving me a a center point to observe from, to observe even the thinking process and these first three fetters, to get perspective on them rather than just shuffle around kind of rearranging things in my mind, you know, and forming opinions that that all cultural conditioning is a Nietzsche and not self, holding to Buddhist views, you know, about all conditioned phenomena is impermanent. And, and, you know, I could go along with that intellectually, but I couldn't get beyond it that way just by o- grasping even the the uh, Dhamma teachings. You know, if you don't see what grasping is, if you have no insight into it, then you you, you become a kind of Buddhist, committed Buddhist, uh, believing in uh, all everything is impermanent and that there's no self. So it's no different than any other religion, is it? If you do that, you're just believing in, you know, in, in different concepts. But if you, you know, but then the bati bata, bariati, bati bati, bati bati is is bati bata is the practice. Now the practice is then is what we're doing now is it reflecting, not trying to to prove Buddhist theories. You know, from the you know taking a, a Buddhist idea and then trying to prove it, but using the the Buddhist teachings in helping because they're kind of pointing at always reality now. You know, so it's it's like we're y- yesterday talking about paticca samuppada, dependent origination. Is that meant to be just some intellectual theory, some you know some kind of Buddhist uh, philosophy, or, or is it you know is it is it a useful tool for awakeness for a e- investigation? Well, it's very it's very skillful, uh, useful tool for investigation. You know, so this is to me this is why I I recommend it, not as some kind of intellectual game, thinking with your mind to kind of say oh I have, I have a lot of opinions about Paticca Samuppada. Let's get it. Let's have a conference at Amravati and discuss various opinions about Paticca Samuppada dependent origination. There you get all these authorities coming and giving their opinions. When, when, you know, it's all about here and now. 
Now with with awareness is there any avicca? So this is where, you know, to recognize awareness and and then uh, you know, as we can sustain that attention, trusting in this, this simple imminent reality of awakened attention now. And that's where sound of silence helps. It's like it gives you a you know, it's a to me it it's uh something that I can tune into immediately that stops the movement of thought and the rea- in the uh, and the you know in regards to emotional experiences or just you know being caught up in worldly thinking process, worry about the future, uh, regret about the past, personal relationships, problems worldly problems and all the rest. So then if, if you recognize this, then then the suffering doesn't doesn't result. You know, the avicca ignorance of this, then then we even even you know, meditation, practicing samadhi, jhanas and all the rest, if we we're operating from self view, from sakyaditi, it's still suffering. You know, you still get very, you know, I found wanting tranquility. You know, I began to, I, I could tranquilize my mind, you know, so so I could get very tranquil. But then then I'd get, you know, I'd, I'd resent all kinds of things that would, dis- that would upset or interfere or interrupt tranquility. You know, as you get into... It makes me into a total control freak because I like tranquility. You know, it's a, it's a pleasant experience, blissful. And anything that is like that, then you want it. You become addicted. You want it. You taste it, and then you want more of it. Like eating something delicious, isn't it? You, you know, you take one, say, taste this, and mmm. You have another one. <laughs> And it's it's uh, centered, and the sound of silence is not delicious. It's not like you know, going. In, it isn't dependent on on refinement or control, but on recognition. So the very directness, you know, this this investigating the the sakyaditi right now. You know, just then you're getting right to the. You know, you're 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 going right to where. The suffering arises, just like asking your, you know, thinking I am this person. I'm somebody that needs to practice meditation in order to become enlightened in the future. You know, that's how we all started, isn't it? You know, when I first became interested in Buddhist meditation, it's because I was unhappy person. And you know, had uh, worried all the time, thought endlessly. I was obsessed with my own thoughts, and 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 was anxious, had a lot of anxiety about everything. So you know, I wanted to get rid of it. It was unpleasant, you know, to think of spending a lifetime just perpetuating this misery endlessly till you drop dead. You know, I even thought. Dying young would be a great advantage. Get it over with. Uh, remember on my thirtieth birthday, 
When I became 30 years old, I was in uh, Borneo, beautiful place, and uh, living in this beautiful place by the seaside. And then I thought, I'm 30 years old. And then even in this beautiful tropical paradise, I began to worry. You know, I'll only be here two years, and I'll have to leave. What will I do? And, and, and you know, I began, because I liked it so much, I wanted to, you know, I, w I wanted to stay there. And then even, you know, when it was still, you know, the time to leave was far away, I began to create a lot of suffering about anxiety about leaving. You know, as I think, this is what I've done all my life, this 30-year-old person spend 30 more years just just perpetuating this misery wherever you go even when you're in tropical paradise you can't really enjoy it because you you're worrying about losing it and Shakespeare there's some of those sonnets of Shakespeare where he talks about this about even in the midst of love there's the fear of losing it <laughs> of death or whatever I mean this is this is uh you know this is this is the c this is the conditioned realm so then in you know this uh you know this you know I began to see that there because I was already fascinated with buddhism and that led me to thailand and then to meditation because it seemed this is an obvious way that you know this might be a way of of getting to the root of the problem and it is you know, it is it is it hasn't you know, it's very direct. Somebody like Lung Po Cha was a very direct teacher. And so this getting to the root of the problem is this awakenness and recognizing. This is it. This, uh, this thought of I'm somebody who needs to meditate in order to become, that's how it seems on a personal level when I start thinking. You know, that's, that's a Sakyaditi. I am an ignorant person, unenlightened person, who's come here to practice in order to become enlightened in the future. Now, just listening to myself thinking that, you know, just noticing that I create that. I'm creating the, the, those words. You know, I'm thinking those words. I am an unenlightened person. And then you're probably, well, you are, you know. Let's face it. You don't seem enlightened to me. <laughs> and we can go around asking opinions <laughs> or just thinking about yourself on a personal level do you ever feel enlightened can you I can't uh, even I talk about you know just thinking about myself personally it doesn't work that way and if I start thinking I am enlightened I don't believe it on that level of thinking because thinking is is not enlightenment it's you know it's not you can't and the Sakya Ditti is a fetter, you know, it's obstructive. But Sakyaditi is, you know, not something to, you know, it's not a, a, an attack on it, but to, to put it in its proper place, to put the personality in its proper place. It's useful. You know, personalities are, you know, they're not something to destroy or attack, but as attachments, they blind us. We can't see beyond them. It's like if you're attached to thinking, you cannot get any perspective on it. 
one thought just goes on to the next. So even with a very clever intellect, you know, high IQ and all the rest, we, one and it's perpetually stuck into this vortex of thinking. Uh, maybe cleverly, uh, but it's still a trap of, you know, of the conditioned realm. If you have no perspective, no way of transcending thinking while you're thinking. So in this sound of silence, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like getting, standing, watching myself thinking. Watching thinking, observing thinking. So that, that is uh, like getting this perspective of observing, witnessing thinking. So then the sound of silence actually, you know, stops the thinking. It doesn't destroy thinking. You can still think. So not, don't worry about you'll never be able to think again. You'll be stuck in a state of paralyzed attention. <laughs> because sometimes it is frightening. People, you know, we're the, the ego and emotions are conditioned to around these delusions. You know, so emotionally you can be, be you can experience a sense of uh, terror or fear, you know, about emptiness, like a black hole. Where will, what will happen to me? You know, you go into, into a, a black hole of oblivion and this fear of annihilation. You notice some people rather hold on to a, a rather unpleasant view about themselves than give it up. To not have any view, to be nobody. So people, you know, say, I am a alcoholic. Or <laughs> I knew this man in California, he'd always say, do you remember me? I'm the alcoholic, but I haven't had to drink for 10 years. And <laughs> that was his identity. And I just so had to have this, had to be somebody. But not being anybody, you know, when you recognize it, is, is it's relief. It's like not carrying a burden anymore. Being somebody is burdensome. When, you're, when you are somebody, you, you know, you're endlessly, you find yourself getting very defensive and protective and threatened easily. Yourself, your sense of yourself worth always being threatened if you're somebody. You know, dependent on praise and, and um, success and things like this, then that's that's a very that's a burden in life, you know. If you if you have no perspective on it, because, you know, there's always this this sense of being threatened. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And then, then find out somebody else is fairer than you are. <laughs> that that you can't take, you know. It's just too much. But if you if you uh, if you're uh, aware, then the whole thing resolves itself. You know, there's not any investment in being the fairest of them all. Who cares? Because, uh, you know, that is an obsession through attachment and ignorance. Having to be the fairest of them all would be, especially at 73, Well, I never w ever wanted to be the fairest of them all. There are other, other ambitions <laughs> I had in life on a personal level. I remember I was uh, when I memorized the Padimokha and 
And of course, I was the per first Western monk uh, with Ajahn Chah. And so I learned, I learned this Padimokha, 227 uh, precepts, and chanted it. And I, was, I thought I was very good at it. I could chant very fast. I could chant it faster than anyone else. So they'd always get me, when they were in a hurry to get to the Padimokha, they get me to chant it. And so I thought I was the fairest of them all, you know, this, this idea, I'm really the best. And then another monk, a Western American monk came along, and they said he was better than I was. And I began to see the suffering, you know, of, of clinging to this view that I'm, you know, this, you know, feeling threatened by this monk. I actually liked this monk, you know, we were good friends. But suddenly he was better than I. And... And this attachment to being the best. So even as a bhikkhu, you know, the problem's still there, isn't it? Sakyaditi can still be rampant as a, as a samana. But then the point of this is to be aware of suffering and its causes and cessation. So I could, you know, I could reflect on it. I was aware of this, you know, this feeling of, of being threatened by somebody by uh, jealousy, feeling jealous, because of this ability to observe what I am feeling, you know, giving it space for it to arise. Wasn't trying to control it, but being aware of it, of, you know, and, and accepting it, seeing it in terms of Dhamma rather than as some kind of personal defect, you know, because ideally I didn't want to be jealous. I wanted to be have mudita, you know, sympathetic joy for the goodness of somebody else. That's my, because um, I'm also personally altruistic. You know, the idea of being joyful at the ability and beauty of somebody else is very attractive to me. Altruistically, I like it. But then on a personal level, emotionally, it's not what I felt was mudita, but jealousy. So then what happens when the Sakyaditi comes in and says, you shouldn't be jealous, you should be, you should feel mudita. You know, and that's, uh, then that's the superego, you know, the, the one that knows it all, that knows all the right things, how you should feel and what you shouldn't feel. So then this the superego says, you're not a very good monk because you're jealous and a good monk shouldn't be jealous. He should have metta and, and mudita, and I know that. But that, then, then you get caught into guilt, isn't it? Feeling unworthy, not a good monk. And where does that go? It just goes around and around and around, unless you get outside it, transcend it, or get perspective on it. And the only way I could do that was through this awareness of it. So like the sound of silence, resting in this, I could be aware of this feeling, you know, physical feeling of, of uh, be feeling jealous and then feeling guilty. It was complicated. It wasn't just, it wasn't just, you know, primal jealousy. It was jealousy and guilt. There's neuroses. It's complicated, confusing. But if I trusted in this sound of silence, then I could I could actually stop the thinking and analyzing and the, stop the superego from 
saying all the right things, you know, how I should feel and what I should be. And it's a, like a tyrant of righteousness. My superego is very righteous. It's very judgmental. It's a nasty thing. <laughs> it's like one of those evangelical ministers in America. So it always makes you feel, you know, that you shouldn't feel what you're feeling. There's something wrong with you because you shouldn't. You shouldn't be jealous. That's that's uh, that's that's bad. Jealousy is is a bad emotion. And especially as a Buddhist monk, you should have sympathetic joy. But then in in uh, in with with uh, awakened awareness, then that the superego that stops after a while. Like with sound of silence, you stop thinking like that, creating that conflict, that guilt that kind of judgmental function of the mind that knows all the answers and is righteous. It stops. And then you can be more aware of the energetic energetic reality of feeling jealous. It's like this. Because it's a kind of primal feeling. Kind of basic emotion. It's like this. And so the relationship to it is, uh, is knowing it. And then it's, it's impermanent. You can't sustain it unless you you keep thinking about it. But if you stop thinking about it, then the actual energetic reality of that emotion, you see, it's 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 in it's it's changing, it's moving, and then it ceases. So you're actually recognizing cessation, realizing, just through, you know, even a and maybe a, an emotion you don't like. If you're just trying to suppress it, you know what happens? You just you end up, you know, holding on to it, perpetuating it. So it's through this awakened attention, recognition, that then these these conditions can be seen in perspective, meaning you're witnessing them. And it's non judgmental. You're not it's not the super ego, you stop that from, you know, operating. You don't have to think of right or wrong, good or bad anymore, but it is like this. It is what it is. It's like this. And this kind of reflection or the way it is, that when I when I think these kind of thoughts, it helps me to, it kind of informs me, just accept this feeling. It's all right. That's the way it is. Just, you know, we call it embracing it or allowing it, receiving it. And it's perfectly bearable if you, you know, it's nothing I can't bear. It's just if I'm heedless and get caught up in thinking I shouldn't and I can't stand this anymore and it's too much for me and whose fault is it? And then I get then I get whirled away into the Sakya Ditti again. So that's why I, I encourage you to to really notice this. You know, like this empty point is n- is non-self. You know, so taking just this this concept of anatta. And then, then, you know, then I would create myself quite intentionally. You know, I am Ajahn Sumedho, my this and my that and my feelings, my body. And then I'd stop creating myself. The, either the sense of self stops with thinking and there's still consciousness. And if you really trust in just ob- being the, the observer, the puto, rather than the Super ego judging or analyzing or trying to 
figure it out, just being the witness to it, I can't find any self. If I don't think, if I stop thinking, there's no self. There's the sound of silence, there's the breathing, body's here. It's still, you know, fully conscious, aware. But there's no, no sense of being a, a separate self or a person or a monk or a man or a Buddhist or anything. It's, this is recognizing. This is, this is anatta, discerning it. And then anatta, you know, then the, the self is, is merely a convention. You know, the Ajahn Sumato concepts are conventional things you use but no longer an identity, no longer grasping them. So to tr test, experiment, you know, it was just this, this way of creating, intentionally create yourself in any way you want. I'm the best or the worst or good, bad. Mm -hmm. well, you have free range to create yourself in any way you want to. But be the knower rather than the believer of that <laughs> creation. So all the self-criticisms, you know, like being very self-critical, you know, create myself, you know, I can bring up all the, the things that I criticize myself for, the self-disparagement, the fears, and the, the, the things that, you know, you, you see in yourself that you don't like at all and don't, and hope, uh, you know, nobody else notices. And you deliberately, you know, intentionally seek them out and listen to them. But being the knower rather than the one that becomes these conditions. More and more these become you you have this you have a clear insight. It becomes very clear, it's very precise. You know, it's not just fuzzy, confused thinking about anatta anymore. Uh, you know, just uh, what what is it? Is there a self not what do you mean by this? And then you're thinking about, you know, uh, holding to a view about no self but the reality of no self is this and so you, you affirm it it's, this is it and then the self is seen you know i i recognize it it's very i know what it is not that i don't have a you know it changes according to various situations conditions the personality my personality will change as you all know according to the conditions <laughs> as anyone else's will so in uh, this Bhutto Tamo, Buddha Dhamma, being this refuge, this is this is the reality of Bhutang Sarnangachami, Dhammang Sarnangachami, Sankang Sarnangachami. When we take these refuges, you know, this is formality in Theravada Buddhism. But this is what it's all about. This is the real refuge. This is the Saranang refuge is in this awareness. And so Bhutto is, this, this word Buddha then is awakened consciousness. The, con the individual, you know, still is coming from, from this point, you know, right, the existential realities of, of the body and consciousness at this moment. The ability to awaken and observe, know the Dhamma, and then the Sangha being this reality itself as a you know as a individual uh human being rather than become someone who's enlightened you know someone out you know all the rest you know so it's like you know tr this is a way of 
of of putting the personality in the sense of accomplishment or lack of it into perspective. So refuge is in Dhamma or in Sangha rather than in the sense of myself as being enlightened or or separate from the rest. But it's not a sense of, of clinging to a view that I am a Sotapanna or Sakadakami Amakai Arha. That that whole thing falls apart. It doesn't work anymore. If you trust the awareness. You're not you're not looking for new words to define yourself. You don't need to anymore because you realize, you 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 recognize Dhamma. And that includes everything. There's not it's no no longer uh taken personally or limited to to just the the kind of personal experiences that that one has individually. So avicca bhajaya sankara instead of avicca vicha, which is like sound of silence, awareness. Then if if I if 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 I heedless, forget all that and get caught up in a avicca bhajaya sankara sankara bhajaya vinyana vinyana bhajaya nama rupa nama rupa bhajaya salayatana salayatana bhajaya bhajaya pasa vedana dana upadana bhava jati jaramaranang so the suffering again so then if i feel i'm suffering you know if i suddenly realize oh i'm you know i'm really upset and really uh, anxious or you know i'm really suffering around something then that's a awakened moment you're suddenly aware of suffering that's the first noble truth there is this dukkha. And so then you think, well, what am I clinging to that I'm suffering right now? What is that? What am I attached to? that? Because suffering, the cause of suffering is attachment. Ubadana, to de- desire. Dana ubadana. So the second noble truth, isn't it? Is what am, what, what's the attachment that I feel like this? Oftentimes it's pride. Oh, I'm... I'm Personally, quite proud, you know. Personality, a lot of pride in my personality. Fear of something, just just being just being heedless and being caught up in, in, uh, you know, just forgetting and being whirled away into some. You know, the world does have these urgent, you know, crises all the time, problems, crises, traumas. There's always something, you know, some crisis we have to face, some problem we have to solve. And then this, what does this do to my mind? You know, if I'm not aware, not mindful, then I get caught up in it, lost in it again. Because I want the Sangha to be peaceful. I want Amravati to be a functional Sangha of of enlightened alms mendicants, harmonious, no conflicts. This is, you know, I want the best for you all. <laughs> also for myself, that'd be very nice, wouldn't it? No more crises, no more problems. And then uh, this idyllic realm, this this blissful paradise of Amravati. No more snakes in the garden. No worms in the apples. <laughs> no spiders in the bathroom.
But then, you know, if I'm attached to that desire for this perfect community, perfect monastery, and I can see, well, you know, I don't want it to be the way it is. I don't want, if there's a problem or a crisis here, I don't want it. I want to get rid of this problem and this crisis. And that's, I'm attached to that's Whippa Vodanha, isn't it? I want to get rid of it or solve it or resolve it. And I'm attached to that desire. So then by seeing that, by recognizing it, it's not criticizing myself for, well, there you are heedless again, getting caught up with your Whippa Vodanha obsessions. That's super ego. Don't believe that. It's just a point of awakening, isn't it? Recognizing that enlightenment is now. Awareness, Nibbana, non-self, Anatta, this is it. This is, this is recognizing. You know, so you, 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 you recognize it and you're not, and you're mindful. Mindfulness. Satisampachanya, Satipanya. Whatever, whatever you're, whatever, wherever you are, and whatever is happening to you. So you hear about people who, you know, who have terrible kind of uh, illnesses with chronic pain, or people that have, you know, like, kind of, I heard in, in we were in uh, Dharamsala years ago, that an American uh, man was working with Tibetan refugees. And he was ta- talking about a Tibetan nun that had been, uh, you know, kept in prison for 18 years in Tibet and tortured, raped regularly in the, and, uh, you know, abused endlessly by the guards. And she, uh, she kept this mantra. She'd say this mantra all the time, and then they forbade her to say the mantra. But they couldn't stop her from saying it internally. <laughs> And then somehow she came out of that, somehow got wet out and, and escaped Tibet, ended up in Dharamsala. And he, he was talking about this marvelous person. Well, how, how could you survive such abuse for 18 years and not be a total traumatic, neurotic basket case? You can't do that personally, you know, on a personal level. You just, your life is ruined, you're... You're, you've been uh, brutalized. Uh, you've been, you're no longer pure. You're, you've been raped. You've been, you're, you're just baggage. You're rubbish. You're nothing. Hopeless case. Or, that's the superego again, isn't it? But if you, you know, if you recognize this reality, ultimate reality, then then the, the you know even under those harsh treatments torture or rape or something this is these are not obstructions to this the obstruction is the ignorance and the sakya ditti silabata baramasa so if you you know just recognize the power and the and the liberation that comes through awareness because on the worldly level who knows what's going to happen to any of us you know that's that but possibility for for anything, you know, for brutalization or whatever. We recognize that. That's this realm. This realm. If what if an asteroid crashes into the Earth? You know, you hear these reports about asteroids out there and they, they seem to be 
millions of them, then you think one of them eventually is going to find its way to this planet, destroy the central heating system in the temple again. <laughs> but absolutely demolish the retreat center. Where would we practice for the winter's retreat? So it's uh, encouraging this. This. The reason why I'm emphasizing this is because I, you know, I'm. I realize that that, that that's one of the problems. Is you you think about yourselves too much and about, you know, what you know about yourself as practitioners. And so you know, and you, this is this is the this is the obsession of of modern societies. We're, we're very good at criticizing, analyzing, and so this is an effort in this w- this two week retreat. It's to to you know to empower you with confidence to to recognize this 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 simple reality. If you think about it, you'll start doubting again. You think, oh, it couldn't be that. <laughs> impossible. What does Buddha Gosa say? <laughs> Off you go again. <laughs> so, you know, I might be a nutcase. You know, I might be absolutely bonkers misinforming you. But I'm not asking you to believe me. You know, put it to the test. You know, the trusting in your own awareness so you can, you know, you can see this, this ability to discern and know for yourself.